0: So we're about to hear from a really uh, impressive woman who appears to be fearless. Julie Kelly has written a book called January 6th, how Democrats use the Capitol protest to launch a war on terror against the political right. And she joins us. The Todd Herman show is 100% disapproved by big pharma technocrats and tyrants everywhere. Now, From the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. And the Lord has said, Thou shalt not lie. And history tells us that in times of universal deceit, telling the truth is an act of bravery. And I do think that we are going to go through a podcast here with a very, very brave woman, Julie Kelly. Julie, I said it before we began the interview, um, may God protect you and, and bless you in this endeavor. And just personally, I thank you for being willing to tell uh, brave truths in a time where brave is almost meaningless uh, until it's people like you. So welcome to the podcast. Uh,
1: thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate
0: it. Uh, Julie, I heard a number at one point that there was some 700 Americans who were in some form of confinement. Um, it due to uh, uh, unbelievably, you know, questionable roles in January six, It's just stepping on grass. Uh, is that true? Were there ever 700 people, uh, roped up in this stuff?
1: Well, there are right now, Todd, about 730 Americans who have been charged with, um, various crimes related to January six. Uh, we, there are about 75 right now who are being held in pretrial detention which means they've been denied bail and are have not been convicted of anything, of course, but denied bail awaiting trial. Um, So those are, that's sort of where the numbers are right now.
0: And when we look at January 6th and you looked at it from beginning to end, um, what do you think is the biggest myth um, that victims of the mockingbird media have been caused to believe about January 6th?
1: Oh, there's so many. Um, you know, just the whole idea that this was an armed insurrection incited by Donald Trump, we know is completely false. Um, first of all, I view this as an inside operation, which is what my book talks about uh, January 6th, how Democrats used the Capitol protest to launch a war on terror against the political right. This was not an accident, right, Todd? And we have to believe that now by seeing how the Democrats are using it and the Biden regime the DOJ, uh, DHS, all of the intelligence agencies are using this to criminalize and silence political dissent. Um, and so the whole basis that this was an insurrection, that it was armed, that it was pre-planned by Trump supporters is a lie. And there are numerous lies that have been told to support that. Um, and, you know, how many officers died? How many people had firearms? Not um, now, the Python story, which I covered today, American Greatness, that's kind of disappeared and has some very sketchy aspects to it. So I would just ask people to reconsider what they thought they saw on January 6th is not
0: reality. I was roped into a thing, uh, somehow that got to me my word today, roped into. Uh, the New York Times uh, wanted to um, make me a uh, uh, purveyor. Of disinformation when I had been on for uh, Rush Limbaugh, God rest him, and this was the day this all happened. Um, you know, January sixth, we were on the air wrapping up the show when this really you know started to occur on the Capitol. And I had said that some of the tactics um, that the people were employing, such as using barricades as ladders, um, the way they were dressed, some of the comms that appeared to be going on, I, I said these look like the tactics of Antifa that we saw over the past year and a half in Portland, where they they use these very things, Julie. And we were told that there was absolutely no, no one from the American left on hand in there. And then we heard that there was Jaden X, and then it was his video um, that that came about that showed the, uh, well, we'll we'll talk about the killing of uh, Ashley Babbitt here in a second, but were there members of the American left there on January 6th? Well,
1: (laughs) here's what I think. Who needs Antifa when you have the FBI? Um, there are not. There's not a lot of confirmation that Antifa was involved. Obviously, um, who you're referring to, John Sullivan, who is a known BLM activist, yeah. who was there actually inciting people yep. and then filmed the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. But I don't view, you know, I, and I don't really discuss this in my book because there's not proof. There's not evidence that Antifa was there. But what we do know is that FBI informants were there, but there were all sorts of plainclothes officers there. And those were the ones, in addition to Capitol Police and DC Metro Police, who were provoking a lot of the incidents and confrontations that we saw on January 6th.
0: Well, that's a beautiful way to say it. Um, and you know, I, I have this this residue of respect for the FBI. Uh, because I was brought up to have respect for the FBI and frankly, mm-hmm. uh, Julie. Um, and by the way, there's a link to Julie's book in the podcast notes by Julie's book. Uh, please. Uh, you know, I have listeners to the show that have been with me for nearly a decade, a couple of whom are retired FBI agents. Um, mm-hmm. And they will send me notes saying, brother, please remember that the, you know, the street cops, the actual agents, we're not political animals. We want to enforce the law. So... I, I then I saw and I've seen you know the American Greatness articles you publish. I don't think anyone has covered this more in depth than you. Let's go through what we had. What was a one of the Proud Boys leaders was on text as he entered the building with his FBI handler. We have That's this right. this question of 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 Ray Epps, and at least Senator Cruz, after he went around calling um January 6th protesters, he called them terrorists and Tucker Carlson called him out on that. He asked about Ray up. So let's go through some of those players, because, you know, Julie, you know, you watch these videos, um, people clearing the barricades you know, or, or the, uh, the rope lines it, making a pathway. It was like a choke point. Everybody's going to go in through here. So let's talk about those players who are apparently FBI informants or even agents, perhaps.
1: Well, the first breach of the exterior exterior Capitol grounds happened at about 1250 that day while President Trump was still speaking by the way. And so this is when a man named Ryan Samsell sort of overran this thin line of metal racks um, and overran a thin police line, about four or five Capitol police officers. And then they, this group advanced towards the Capitol building. The person who whispered in Ryan Samsell's ear before he knocked over those, uh, those gates was Ray F. Ray Eps is seen repeatedly on video the night before and all throughout the day on January 6th, encouraging people to go to the Capitol, telling people where the Capitol is, saying we need to go inside the building. For well, here he is whispering something in Ryan Sample's ear, who becomes really the first uh, Capitol breach uh, protester. Um, behind them are members of the Proud Boys, who we know also included informants, because New York Times has confirmed this. But also, Todd, there are groups of people who were in that group, particularly wearing these neon caps, people who had bright neon caps on or uh, neon tape on them. Those people have not been charged. The question is why? If they were with the Proud Boys, this alleged militia group who invaded the Capitol that day, there are dozens of people who were tied to that group, who were with that group early on during the day, who advanced towards the Capitol with the Proud Boys, with Ray Epps and Ryan Sampson, who have not been charged. And then you see close pictures of them, and they have, you know, earpieces in. And they've got other hats underneath their neon hat, almost like they're wearing it to identify themselves among each other and other law enforcement agents who were there. Um, So they would be separated from, say, the other protesters. So we also know the the color of the day.
0: No, I'm just going to say this is, uh, it's the color of the day. This is what undercover people do. Okay. Color of the day. Got it. Sorry to interrupt.
1: No, it was the color of the day. It was the color of the noose. Remember the noose that was outside of the building. We still don't know how that got there. There's no video of who put that together. No one has been charged with anything related to it. Um, So orange, and of course, you know, the joke is Trump being orange. We joke about him being the bad orange man. Was that the reason why that was the color that would differentiate, you know, the the informants, the undercover agents, other police officers that day versus everyone else? Well, we also know, Todd, and this just came out in Newsweek, surprisingly, a bombshell report. Contrary to what the FBI and DOJ and other agencies told us, um, the acting attorney general, Jeffrey Rosen, assembled hundreds of elite FBI forces at Quantico the weekend before January 6th. Those agents were deployed to the Capitol early in the day on January 6th, not later, as Jeffrey Rosen has testified. What were, uh, what was the hostage rescue team doing, SWAT teams doing? What were these elite teams with hundreds of agents and uh, officers doing in Quantico the weekend before January 6th, we have no explanation about why they were there, what they were doing. And they were deployed to the Capitol early that day. I've looked at tons of video and photos. I don't see anyone identified as an FBI, ATF, hostage rescue team, SWAT team. You see no one identified that way until late in the day. So what were they doing? Were they with the protesters? Were they inside the building? Were they outside the building? What were they doing? And if they allowed this violence or they provoked this violence to to happen that day, I would think some lawmakers, especially the Democrats who thought that their lives were in, in jeopardy, you know, AOC thought she was going to be murdered that day. You're mad at the wrong guy. Donald Trump was not responsible for keeping the Capitol secure. That was Nancy Pelosi, Mayor Muriel Bowser. Mitch McConnell, Sergeant at arms, Castle police, DC Metro. So why are they mad at Donald Trump? That wasn't his job. There were a lot of, there are a lot of gaps to this story. And there's a lot of cover up too, not just by these agencies, but by the media too.
0: It's remarkable. Uh, Julie, you know, I I left commercial radio to be able to put God at the center uh, and politics at the edges. And I, I, I hate being part of anything that divides the country. And, 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 but the fact is, I think, you know, my point of view is the Lord is allowing it to be divided. He's showing us sides. And I, I, I hate believing what I believe about the FBI, but I would remind my audience, this is the same FBI that went to a FISA court and lied twice to their their faces. And now we know that Hillary's team, at least according to John Durham and his court filing, that they had hacked not just Trump Tower and Trump's apartment buildings, which is bad enough, or spied on them, hacked. Um, they also got into the DNS traffic at the White House. So they'll do that, but they would not. <laughs> they would not set something like this up. They'll do that, but they'll not hack an election, which is an entirely different, entirely different story. Um, so, uh, so, well,
1: yeah. real quick, though, Todd, yeah. they did that a few months before January sixth, and I talk about this in my book, the Whitmer kidnapping plot, yes. which completely concocted and executed by the Detroit FBI field office and at least a dozen undercover agents and informants who were responsible for that that hoax, right? And when was the announcement of the arrest made? October 8th, 2020, early voting is underway in Michigan and other yeah. states. Okay. And the FBI was responsible for it. Another example of the FBI interfering in an election, that's exactly what they did. The head of the Detroit FBI field office had This blows a lot of people's minds, was moved to head of the D.C. FBI office in the middle of October, two months before January 6th. He is the guy now who would have overseen any FBI agents or informants out of that office on January 6th and who is the lead investigative agency into the prosecution. That's not a coincidence.
0: No. And I was just going to mention that event because I remember when the videos broke of the guys who who got, you know, conned into doing this with the FBI. They were a mess. Uh, They were anarchists. They hated Trump. Um, And then those videos all of a sudden went through the disappearance. And this has Mm -hmm. been a a remarkable thing. You know, first on radio, uh, we watched. We've watched three or four events. My producer, my former producer, dear brother of mine, Alex, we had to chase videos down and they were, they would be disappeared as we were um, recording them from the internet, literally pulled. And those videos have sort of disappeared. Now, speaking of videos and video evidence and Julie Kelly's with us and um, look, it's right there. You're listening to this on podcast, wherever you're at, it's right there in the notes. There's a link to her book. Uh, Purchase the book, purchase some for friends. Um, And Julie, the videos now of Ashley Babbitt, what we have seen is that this was not a young woman who had gone there to murder AOC, I think was, you know, not not that much risk anyway, because where she was located. But there's videos of Ashley trying to stop the vandalism, as I understand it, and videos of Ashley Babbitt going to the police and saying, you got to get back up. So what's the truth about Ashley Babbitt? Um,
1: well, the truth is that she is a 13-year, was a 13-year veteran with Tours of Duty, I believe six or seven overseas. She was a big Trump supporter. Um, she entered the Capitol. We're not sure how she entered. There's no video of how she got inside. But of course, she was outside the Speaker's Lobby where there were Capitol Police there guarding the doors. Of course, uh, Jaden X, John Sullivan, who we mentioned, the BLM activist who was recording the whole thing. Um, another man had broken a window leading into the speaker's lobby. Ashley was very agitated with police. There were a bunch of protesters behind her, but there's new video released that seems to show her punching Zachary Alam, who is the man charged with breaking that window. But apparently what her husband has said recently after seeing different angles of that video is that she was afraid. She's a li- She was a, a, a small woman, about five foot two, her mom told me, 110 pounds, no threat to anyone. She was not armed. It appears now that the reason why she was trying to climb through the window to get to the speaker's lobby was not to go, you know, hunt down AOC or Nancy Pelosi, but to try to get away from this advancing crowd that was behind her, which also included police officers. Yeah. But over over to the side, he gave no warning. Uh, moved his gun towards her without any sort of warning, telling her to stop nothing. And this is Officer Michael Byrd, Capitol Police, shot her at a near point blank range and, and killed her uh, right there. And um, that's, that's what we know. And, um, you know, it's an absolute tragedy. It did not have to happen. There were police officers in front of her. There were police officers behind her. They could have arrested her. You know, they could have tried to, get her away from that. They didn't. And, um, you know, what's sad is how people have reacted to her death. We know that the media and Democrats and Republicans covered up the name of that officer for months. He's now considered a hero on the left and even by some Republican lawmakers. Um, And the horrible, despicable things that the media has said about her suggesting that she somehow deserved what happened to her really is just one of the more stomach-turning aspects of the whole January 6th uh, uh, event.
0: It is. And, and now there's this news of the tunnel. Uh, Epic Times has reported, uh, was it Rosalind Boyles? Um,
1: Roseanne, Roseanne
0: Boylan. Thank you. Roseanne, mm-hmm. Roseanne Boylan. Um, that she was apparently unconscious, or at least would look to be, she'd been pretty much trampled by a crowd. And uh, as she is laying unmoving, one would assume unconscious, a DC Metro police officer saw fit to beat her with a steel baton and then a large wood, uh, large, not stick, but almost a, a beam. Like she She saw fit to beat an unconscious woman. And we're now told that the D.C. Police has investigated, or D.C. Metro Police has investigated the D.C. Metro Police and the Capitol Police have investigated one another. And they've come out to say that this was, uh, what was it, uh, objectively regional uh, along those lines to beat an unconscious right. woman. And then we're told that she died of a drug overdose of, of Adderall, which is a drug she'd been on for, you know, I think a decade. Uh, so w- what do we need to know about that, about that killing?
1: Well, I cover this, too, in my book. And look, the conduct of D.C. Metro and Capitol Police was abhorrent that day. In any other situation, Todd, you would have protesters in the streets every day demanding these officers not just be fired, but face criminal charges for what they did. That certainly would have been the case with Michael Byrd. You don't just get to shoot an unarmed citizen in a public building. And faced no investigation. We now know, thanks to reporting at Real Clear Investigations, he refused to meet with the three agencies who allegedly investigated his conduct. He was cleared of any wrongdoing, including civil rights violations, and he still has his job. He wasn't the only bad officer that day. There were many of them, and this includes the officer, which seems like a D.C. cop who is seen beating Roseanne Boylan. It even gets worse than that, and I cover Roseanne Boyland in my book. But there's a new revelation since then. She died from being trampled in that crowd. This was DC and Capitol Police in this Lower West Tunnel, who lured people into that tunnel, allowed them in, and then started attacking them. Roseanne Boyland was one of them. They were spraying a really noxious gas in this tunnel. People could not breathe. So what? witnesses say is that she passed out from that was trampled by the mob and then beaten by this police officer. After that, you have two police officers, Officer Gannell, Aquilino Gunnell, and Harry Dunn, two officers who um, testified to the January 6th committee in July. They handled her body after she died. I believe that Officer Gannell is the officer who dragged her body through that tunnel into the building, they both testified very vaguely that they met up in the crypt and kept her body near Steny Hoyer's office, the um, House Majority Leader, um, kept her body there until paramedics arrived, trying to conceal her body from public view or anyone else. Protesters before this had tried to save her. They were giving her CPR while the cops were attacking not just her, but also the protesters trying to help her. Then these cops drag her back through the tunnel into the building to hide her there. This includes the celebrity cops, Officer Ganel and Officer Harry Dunn, keep her there until paramedics arrive. She's uh, pronounced dead at 6.09, which, of course, she already had died. People were trying to revive her before she was dragged through this tunnel. That's just one horrifying story. Wow. Those cops were beating other women inside that tunnel. I have a story in American Greatness, two-part interview with a woman named Victoria White. There's footage finally released that show not one but two DC cops beating her repeatedly over the head with a baton, then dumping the baton and a DC cop supervisor starts punching her directly in the face. Almost beating her to death. So this is hopefully some of the info that will come out in these trials but they're trying to conceal the footage that shows it. They're trying to conceal the officer's names of what they did. And they're also trying to prevent defendants from using self-defense against excessive force in their trials to defend
0: themselves. It, it's, this is why I was begging the Lord to protect you and, and to continue to uh, guard you and bless your work, what you're doing. We've got about eight minutes. I, we'd agreed to like a half hour with Julie and she's incredibly busy. So, but wait, this is just, this is prelude. Because there are Americans being held right now. Um, and I think it's fair to characterize them as political prisoners, some of them. And we'll talk about that um, as we wrap this up uh, next seven or eight minutes with Julie Kelly buy the book. The link is in the podcast notes. My friend, Zach Abraham, uh, Bulwark Capital Management has been a guy telling the truth about the financial system. He's warned us now for seven years straight about inflation. You can see what's going on. He talks openly about 0% interest rates. He talks openly uh, about money printing. He, he, you know, names names in the financial industry. He's also helped people get early retirement. This is so important because there's still companies that want to force you to get injected or, or lose your job. And he has helped people get out of these companies and get into, you know, early retirement they've earned. So if you think you can retire, but you don't know, find out. Super simple. Just call Zach Abraham, 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com and understand this. You know that phrase, Know Your Risk Radio? They look at everything through the lens of risk management, right? One way to risk things is to have no upside. So if you're sitting there in cash, okay, that's one way to do it. Another way is to go with someone who is an active fund manager like Zach at KnowYourRiskRadio.com. So call them 866-779-RISK. And before you become a client, do know this. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Another unbelievably brave truth teller, Julie Kelly's with us. The link to the book is right there in the podcast notes. Please buy it. Please buy some for friends. Um, Julie, the the people who are held right now, um, there are still people, I understand who are effectively in solitary confinement. Is that still going on to our to our countrymen?
1: Yes. So we now have men who have been incarcerated for over a year, uh, convicted of no crime, just being held because they were somehow involved in January 6th. Their trials are being delayed into the middle and even end of this year. Um, There are about four dozen or so in the D.C. Gulag, I call it. And the D.C. Gulag for the first few months was under uh, solitary confinement, basically solitary confinement conditions based on COVID. Um, They earned some freedoms back, but then they locked down this prison again, uh, keeping the detainees in their cells for 22 hours a day. Um, So that's basically solitary confinement conditions. Um, Furthermore, they've not seen their family members in over a year. Uh, They can't meet with their defense lawyers in person unless they are vaccinated. They can't even look at the discovery evidence against them, um, especially surveillance video, which is under protective orders. So all of their constitutional rights, presumption of innocence, speedy trial, due process, uh, cruel and unusual, all of those rights have been completely demolished when it comes to these January 6th detainees. And this is what Joe Biden's Justice Department wants to do to them. This is what federal judges, including Trump judges, have signed off on. And these people are basically being tortured into plea agreements so the government doesn't have to make their case against them because, of course, they don't really have good cases against almost all of these men. Um, so that is the situation. We hear basically nothing from our Republican leadership in Washington, which is very dismaying. Um, and, but we do have political prisoners in this country. That's just not an
0: exaggeration. It's fact. You mentioned the phrase Republican leader and I, and I try not to laugh. <laughs> right. Uh, they're, they're one part terrified to speak in anything that, that the Mockingbird media could use to say, look, 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 they, they wanted the insurrection, which was not an insurrection. They wanted the coup, which was not a coup. Um, they're one part complicit. I think and I, I mean I, I want to be very I I, I, I you know I'm I'm faithbound to not gossip, but I would ask Mitch McConnell, why did you why did you let this happen? I mean, is there do we have any notion or any, is anyone talking about why McConnell was part of the group of people with his dear, dear friend, Nancy Pelosi, who loves America. She clearly loves it. <laughs> right. <laughs> clearly. Right. Um, you know, like someone loves a good steak they chew on and eat and consume. Um, is there any, is, there, is anyone going to talk about McConnell saying, nah, don't bring the National Guard in?
1: Um, I mean, I talk about this in my book and and in my other coverage. Why did Mitch McConnell, Sergeant at Arms, and Nancy Pelosi's Sergeant at Arms, refuse request by the Capitol Police Chief days before for extra security? Why did Muriel Bowser refuse to allow thousands of National Guardsmen into the Capitol that day? She only authorized 300 to help with traffic control, she said. So, why did they keep the building intentionally unsecure at the same time giving marching orders to Capitol Police and DC Metro to attack the crowd with explosive devices, tear gas, rubber bullets, and at the same time also letting hundreds of protesters into the building? Mitch McConnell has a lot to answer for, which is why, why he left the building unsecure, why he worked with Nancy Pelosi to keep it exposed, and furthermore, why he used the term, the word insurrection. As soon as the joint session reconvened at eight o'clock that night, he had the talking points. Joe Biden had the talking points. George W. Bush had the talking points. Liz Cheney had the talking points. It all started that afternoon to describe this as an insurrection, which of course it wasn't preposterous to even use that word. Mitch McConnell himself used that word from the floor of the Senate that day, that evening. Why? He was, Uh, people should be very suspicious about his role in what happened that day and certainly how he continues to describe it just recently as a violent insurrection it's a joke and he has said nothing about these political prisoners he wants these people in jail and he's working with the biden regime to punish anyone involved not just in january 6th but anyone who uh supports the former president
0: I, uh, you know, I'm famous for my McConnell impression. I'm not famous for anything else. I mean, <laughs> uh, but I remember listening. Uh, uh, by, by an introduction, Uh, it can't be allowed. <laughs> I, I know, it's not to be careful. And I'm I'm listening to that going, but but I know that there was an offer to prevent this, and and you didn't do it. Um,
1: I've, I've, <laughs> I've done this. That was well done, though.
0: You like that? No, i mean, in it. Yeah. Uh, American people, I not understand. I, I, chicken in the pot, one thing, but an introduction on Capitol Grounds. Um, I've done this for a long time. I'm thinking here that I believe this is the first time I have been rendered sort of breathless. And I, I think the reason that I feel breathless, Julie, is because I've read your work constantly in American Greatness, I've ordered your book. Um, I guess because I'm meeting you virtually, uh, I'm hearing in you a woman that is, you don't sound the least bit afraid. So what's, what's the source of your bravery?
1: Um, well, I mean, America yeah. doing the right thing, defending my country, you know, that my grandparents fought for helps build and not letting these contemptible vicious, evil people populate our federal government, including DOJ prosecutors, including FBI agents, by the way, federal judges, I, I'm going to do my part to protect this country, to defend innocent people um, who are being targeted by this regime. And, you know, just give voice to the voiceless. Yeah. And I don't think about being afraid. I get this question a lot, but I, I don't think about it and I can't think about it because then it will sign me my work. And I think that bringing the truth to the American people on behalf of the persecuted is, is important. So I really don't, you can't come from a place of fear. That's where our craven Republican leadership is right now. They're working from a place of fear and shame on them. And I hope they pay a political price for it, but the rest of us can't.
0: Yeah. And uh, so my source is I know who wins because I look at the world in, in what I right. consider to be a kingdom point of view and that um, that Christ Jesus will return and he will judge. Um, and so I hope it's okay that I would ask my audience not just to purchase your book, but also to pray for you uh, that you receive and enjoy the full armor of God. Well,
1: thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate you know all prayers and support. And I would also ask uh, you know, prayers for the political prisoners and all of these defendants yeah. who are being destroyed by this by this evil government.
0: Yeah, uh, it's look. Uh, that's just and one of the things that I, I I really value is word usage. So I don't call them a government anymore; I call them the party. Um, yeah. Because we just mentioned, that. I mean, Mitch and Nancy join forces when when it's against the American people, um, and I remind people, my audience, that the party is pharma uh it is tech it is media it's academia and it's the deep state and we didn't hear about pharma today but everyone else everyone else all the other members of the party played a role in this propaganda of silence we've talked about they're just not going to do that um, julie god bless you thank you for writing the book thank you for coming on the podcast and um folks book right there in the link purchase it give it to friends um and never stop praying for our political prisoners uh, go with God's good grace. Julie, thank you so very much for being with us. Todd,
1: thank you so much for having me on. What a great conversation. I really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. Woo! everybody else. Okay. So that's what it's like to tell the truth in America these days. And that's why we need people uh, like Julie Kelly's remind ourselves that this is the sort of podcast that you dig. That's, you know, the mockingbirds aren't going to cover this. This would be one to share with friends. And we hope to have Julie back. So just take this episode, email it to 10 friends, particularly 10 friends, in this case, who heard me on Rush's show, God rest, Rush, because they'll remember the day I hosted when January 6th unfolded and we watched it together, Team EIB and I watched it together break down. And they may remember the New York Times coming out with this hit piece on me. Well, not on me, but I was involved in it that they wanted to make it all disinformation. And if I was wrong about and I never said Antifa was there. I said, it looked like Antifa tactics and it did. And what did Julie Kelly tell us? Well, how many FBI agents are there? Were there? It's a great question. How many were? And that's still things that they don't want to answer. We get to um, a question I got through, um, through email that kind of wraps this all together for me. Uh, and it goes to this point I've been trying to make about professional Republicans. Um, it comes from Greg and Greg writes from Boise, Idaho. Dear Todd, I love your podcast. I first learned about you when you're filling in for Rush Limbaugh. As you say, God rest Rush. I then began to listen to your Seattle radio show. My family and I are currently packing up to leave Boise because of what Boise's become. And we're headed to your part of the woods, Southern Idaho or Northern Idaho. I get confused because you tend to live in both places. So uh, you'll have to tell us where you exactly live. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you. <laughs> I'll send you my address, Greg. Send you my personal address. Uh, in any case, uh, Greg continues. Todd, here's my frustration. I hear you refer to the party, and I want to know, have you given up on the Republican Party entirely? Because there is a left-right battle in the country, and I think it's important that we talk about good, brave Republicans where good, brave Republicans, Republicans exist. So my question to you is, have you given up on the Republican Party entirely, or do you think there's good Republicans. Furthermore, do you worry about the phrase, the party being misused by others to make it seem like you don't see any difference between the Republicans and Democrat party, because that could lead to voter turnout problems. Love your program. Look forward to seeing you in, in North Idaho. I think that's where you live. In any case, thanks for what you do. God bless you and God rest rush Greg in leaving Boise, Idaho. Um, Greg, I don't care about the Republican party. That's I don't uh, they are a group of people that can be great they're a group of people that can be inert they're a group of people that can be harmful we just heard about the most powerful Republican in the country Mitch McConnell you just heard it what Mitch did on Jan 6th. there's your party where's Mitch going after Big Pharma Where's Mitch frog marching the bosses of Moderna and Pfizer in? Where's Mitch marching in the boss of the D.C. Capitol Police to say, okay, so you're good. You're good. It's objectively, objectively reasonable to beat a woman who's passed out to beat her in the head with a steel baton. That's objectively reasonable. That's the party. Where is Mitch going and demanding from his good friends in the party, in the media, that they start to ask the questions that they demand their cameras go inside to see these political prisoners? That's not happening. Where's Mitch McConnell going to ask Joe Biden exactly what are the American interests in Ukraine? Why are we there? Where is Mitch McConnell to bring his good, good, good friend, Hillary Clinton, Senator Clinton, and then Secretary Clinton, to bring her in and say, you hacked the White House? So that's the top of the top of the Republican Party. Exactly what belief would I have in Mitch McConnell? He gives us some judicial nominees that are not, completely hideous on occasion. They vote or they, they rule in favor of the Constitution one out of seven times. But they join Mitch in denying the existence of biological reality because that's what the party wants. Now, compare that to some of the local Republican groups. I am going to be giving a, a speech March 18th. Up in Ponderay, you want to talk North Idaho? That's North Idaho. Uh, That's your group of Republicans up there. Last time I was up there, I had one of the best times I've ever had. Very conservative people, self-sufficient people, and people who are not 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 nothing like the rubes that Mitch McConnell thinks they are. Nothing like it. They're far more educated, for instance, on COVID than he will ever be because he doesn't need to be educated. He knows the end of the game. He knows what he wants. So in that in that personage of that group, that's a fantastic group. I happen to think that in in Idaho, there's a women's Republican group that's great. I may give a speech in Idaho, I'm rather in, in uh, the separate country of Washington. to a Republican women's group. Do I agree with them on everything? No, but here's what I do know. is they're not for sale? And so I don't care about the Republican Party. I, I simply don't. And I think it goes to this. I am not looking for any form of rescue from human beings. I am looking for human beings to admit we can't save ourselves. Because guess what? We can't save ourselves. Not, not ultimately. So I'm looking for human beings to say we, once again, this is how we have befuddled things, screwed things up. This is what we've done to our country. And I get it. You didn't vote this way. I didn't vote this way. We're going to vote like we pray. I firmly believe that will help. But we'll talk about election security. You talked about turnout problems, Greg, and that this could lead to turnout problems by me talking down the Republicans. Okay. I don't want it to lead to turnout problems. I want conservatives to turn out and I want us to put the party on notice. We're voting like we pray. What does that mean? You put the, these grandstanding, self-serving, self-dealing party sycophants up against a true servant. And you know what the true servant's going to have that they don't have? I can't for the life of me believe that the Lord is happy with Mitch McConnell. I, I, any more than he's happy with Nancy Pelosi. Now, Nancy Pelosi is is objectively, progressively, you know, aggressively evil. Mitch McConnell is a little bit better at appearing to uh, uh, American people need tax cuts. Uh, okay, so he plays that game. But the, the what a true servant of the kingdom, of Christ's kingdom will have is God on their side. Because they will be, in fact, creating law from a perspective of there's something greater than themselves, which is what the party doesn't do, because there can be nothing greater than themselves. So if we go and by the way, if we had if we had a turnout problem because we can't get a godly Republican to run, what are we losing You know, you can, you can. Those who lose their life will gain it. Now, I do believe there's a jubilee coming. I do believe there's a revival coming. I believe all of this, but only if we take this opportunity. Because what God is saying is, "Hey, you know, elect some good, solid Republicans who speak, who who you know, pff, uh, wave a Bible around, and and maybe go to a church occasionally." But wait a minute, what, th- th- is that any better? If we take this moment, look at this and say, what do we truly need? We need actual servants. We're going to get actual service. We're going to get people who exist to serve and not be served, which was the ultimate model of the most perfect humility in the personage of Christ Jesus, fully man, fully God. That's what we get or could have. And it hurts me to no end to have to be on the side that is is forced to criticize uh, even the FBI. Because I, I, I am well aware of the fact that there are plenty of FBI agents who are real life, good, completely, objectively honest Americans who give of themselves in, in positions of ultimate risk. I get that. Hey, if you've made it this far through the podcast, thank you for that. We have a great completion rate, but I know people get busy. Um, if you've made it this far, you're probably one of the people that says, hey, how can we help the podcast? Well, I want to do two things here. Is One, we don't just you know ask you to buy Alan Soaps because it helps the podcast. I mean, it does. Um, but ultimately, we ask you to buy it because the product is great. It starts with that, always has. And I was talking with uh, John, who is the dad of Alan. Okay, so this soap company was founded by a father's love for his sons. He does not want them to be tools of the state. He wants them to have the dignity of work. And in in the case of two of his three sons, that's hard because they're so profoundly affected by autism and some other really structural uh, medical concerns. But it doesn't stop them from doing their homework, coming to work every day. Um, You know what, Alan, he's the namesake of Alan Soaps. His favorite scent is the watermelon basil. There is lavender, rosemary. There's cedarwood, jasmine. All the soaps are small batch. Why does that matter? Well, because the quality control is high in small batch. If you're doing big batch stuff, you can't sample that much of the product. They're always sampling the product. There is no automation. Okay, I mean, where, where you would normally have automation doing things, they have human beings doing things. Not only does that give Alan, from Alan's soaps, the dignity of work, it also adds to the quality. And Alan loves these soaps because they're tied back to his family. The scents are sometimes inspired by his grandma. For instance, the vanilla lime, lavender, rosemary is inspired by his grandma. And you'll get a note and they'll talk about that 100% natural ingredients. Honestly, it helps the show when you purchase the big gift packs, obviously. And more importantly, the product is great and you are giving feedback to a company. Right? You try the soaps, you love them. You give feedback to a company, you're giving feedback to Alan. This month, right now, still for one, every single bar of soap sold... $1 goes to the Special Olympics. If you buy one of the gift packs, it's a bunch of money going to the Special Olympics. That's also a way to help people impacted by things like autism, experience life's boundaries and how they can be blown past. So it's easy to do. Just go to Alan Soaps. This no, alansopes.com. alansopes.com. Use my name, Todd, T O D D at checkout. And you're going to get that deal. One buck for a bar of soap to the Special Olympics. alansopes.com. Now, thinking of Alan Soaps and and, and Alan, the young man, who's so profoundly impacted uh, by autism, brings to mind one of the most fundamental shifts I had as a human being, as a young boy, young teen guy. On this personal note, my mom undertook caring for kids in our home as a daycare center of sorts. And she was a preschool teacher, had a master's degree. So when I say of sorts, it was a way to earn money. Um, And it was a little bit below her pay grade, but not below her compassion grade. And there was a young girl, little girl, who came to her home. And it put in my heart a, a, a love of children that has never left me. So, I remember this little girl had, she was also profoundly affected physically. Not just, uh, not, I shouldn't say just, uh, with autism. She couldn't speak. She was utterly nonverbal. And when she came to her home, I just instantly just liked her. Just a cute kid. Yeah, I think it was 14 and still punkish. Not, not punk rock, but still a punk. And what I was amazed by was this girl. She took apart this crib that my mom had put her in. You know, my mom asked me for help. Hey, can you get her? I I think she's getting, you know, restless. And I walked in and and the crib was taken apart. And, And she figured out how to do this on her own with no tools. And with her physical limits, it was amazing. And so I I helped her get out and and we went into the front room and I got out blocks and Legos. And this little girl built things with the Legos that were so intense, (laughs) far beyond her years. And I'm watching with amazement as she's building houses And I'm realizing there is an intelligence in this girl. I can't tap with language. So for the first day, I mean, we played this way. I realized the next day, I look forward to seeing her. And she did. She came back the next day and her mom dropped her off and the girl reached for me. I remember the mom thinking, I saw the look on her. I was like, wow, they've made a connection. And I reached for her. I I was so anxious to see her. She took apart a radio, an old transistor radio, but here's the insane part. She put it back together. She knew exactly where every piece went. And she put it back together. And so we talked about the radio. I would bring the radio into the room and here's the radio and you fixed the radio and let's listen to music on the radio. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned what had been done. Her mom came to pick her up um, at the end of the day, and I was sitting with her. And I don't remember specifically what we were doing. It was always something tactile because that's where her intelligence seemed to express itself. And her mom came into the front row or the the kitchen. I was in the dining room area, the kitchen attached, obviously. And her mom came over to her daughter. And the daughter turned to her mom. And she spoke. She said, mama, radio. And her mother and my mother stopped my mother with a master's degree in early childhood education stopped and they looked and then the little girl went back to playing with the radio. And that woman turned to my mom and embraced her and cried. (laughs) And the great thing about it was (laughs) the girl could always do it. That it was always hidden in there. And it was just finally important enough, important enough to say, look, radio. She knew her mom's title. Which meant it was in her mind. She developed some more words after that. My mom told me that. She died at a young age. I don't know if she knew the Lord. I know the Lord knew her. And I do think that the Lord has special graciousness for people who maybe intellectually cannot completely accept them. I believe that. This is the Todd Herman Show. We appreciate your support, sharing of the show. Now please, go be well, be strong, be kind, and yes, let's all together be right with God.